right, church, let's dive into it. You know where we've been. We've been in the most neglected book in the New Testament. We've been in the book of Revelation. We're coming now to that figure in the book of Revelation that everybody wants to know about. I will tell you up front, I did a lot of research on this. There are a lot of theories. There are as many theories as there are theoreticians. That means there's too many to look at. What I want to focus on today is the implication or the application of what we're going to read. We're looking at the woman who rides the beast. The woman who rides the beast. This figure in the book of Revelation is very frightening. She represents many different things, but you need to understand who she is because, church, she is already in the world. I can say with 100% biblical accuracy that the woman who rides the beast is already here in this country and in this world. I know what you're thinking. Pastor, you haven't said anything like that in this whole series on Revelation. You haven't mentioned any positive identification. Well, this time I can be absolutely 110% positive on who the woman is who rides the beast because the Bible tells us who she is. Let's take a look at her today, the woman who rides the beast. Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17 is where we are, verses 1 through 18. I want to look at the face of evil. The Bible paints this woman with a very distinctive appearance. And she will become for us the face of all that is evil in the world. And as you know, ever since Brother Adam and Sister Eve did their thing in the garden, evil has been running amok in this world. Amen? Amen. Not a good thing, but it's a true thing. Evil is around us. It's among us. Evil is when you're a young man, stuck, far from home, nobody around, scary people in your midst. Brother, I know you were there. And yet, you held it together. I'm proud of you. When you're out there, you know that evil is real because you can see it looking at you, can't you? All right, here it is. Revelation 17, beginning in verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who sits on many waters. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on the earth became drunk with the wine of her sexual immorality. She, so he carried me away in the spirit to a desert. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She had a cup in her hand filled with everything vile and with the impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead was a cryptic name and was written Babylon, the great, the mother of prostitutes and the vile things of the earth. Then I saw that the woman was drunk on the blood of the saints and on the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? Let's stop right there. We're not to the end of that chapter, but let's stop right there and take a look at this. What is this woman? First of all, understand this. Written on the head of the beast is this. Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes, and the vile things of the earth. This is on the forehead of the creature that he sees. Why is that? Very simple. In the first century, as we noticed, you see lots of symbology in Revelation. The saints are sealed with something on their what? Forehead. Those who accept the mark of the beast are sealed on their hand or their forehead. It was a common practice in Rome 
for all prostitutes to publicly announce themselves. So a woman who was a professional prostitute would have her name inscribed on a plate of some type and tied around her head with a ribbon. That was to let you know that she was a prostitute. That way you wouldn't proposition an innocent woman which would get you killed by her husband. So in those days, a prostitute announced herself. Worse than that, houses of prostitution didn't want a man to come in and be confused. So all the houses of prostitution that we have found had pictures above each room depicting what particular act was committed in that room. The Romans were not embarrassed by all of their sexual immorality. Now you look here in the very first section. It says again and again, it says the judgment on the notorious prostitute. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who lived on the earth became drunk with the wine of her sexual immorality. You have to understand this. They're not talking about sex. They're talking about idolatry. In the first century, and I've said this many times, you have to remember, it was very different than today. When you, young man, would go to a temple to worship a goddess, you worship the goddess through having certain acts with the temple prostitutes. That was how they worshipped. That's how they perverted the gift that God has given us and turned it into something vile and something nasty. So whenever the Bible talks about sexual immorality, it is talking about idolatry. It is talking about exchanging the worship of the true God for simple, vain acts that have absolutely nothing to do with who God is and what God honors. So when you're looking at this woman who rides on this beast, she represents the worst of the false churches of that time. Let me ask you, church, are there false churches in America today? Just say yes. yes. Are there false churches in the Philippines today? Yes. Are there false churches in Europe today? Yes. Because false churches have existed since Adam and Eve got their behinds kicked out of the garden. Ever since that day, Satan has been able to poison the minds of those on the earth by saying, there's another way to worship God. There's an easier way to worship God. You don't have to be faithful to your wife, faithful to your husband. You don't have to be faithful to God. You don't have to read his word. All you have to do, and Imelda said it, be a good person. Be a good person and God will accept you. I'm sorry to tell you, that's nowhere in the scriptures. In fact, I have never found in all my studies of Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, I have not yet found a religion that says be a nice person. When I lived in China, well, Taiwan, when I lived there, I studied Buddhism. I studied Buddhism from a Buddhist text. You know what? It has nothing to do with being nice or good. Nothing. Islam has nothing to do with being a nice person. The person who practices Islam, the Muslim, doesn't even know if they're going to make it into the presence of Allah because it has nothing to do with how good you are. It has to do with whether or not kismet, fate, is going to permit you to go into his presence. That's what false religion looks like. False religion says it's the roll of the dice. It's good versus evil. It's balancing the scales. John saw this woman riding up on a scarlet beast. Remember, the colors of scarlet and purple were extraordinarily expensive. They were exclusively reserved for people who had a lot of money. I see a lot of purple in the house today. Guys, back in the day, you couldn't afford to wear purple. Because purple was reserved for royalty. In fact, at one time, the Roman government stopped the Jewish priests from harvesting the Tehelet body fluid of those Mediterranean sea slugs. They stopped them from harvesting it because it was too valuable. 
fact, the, the Roman government made it illegal for the Jewish priests to harvest that, that body fluid from those Mediterranean slugs. That means they can no longer make the tehillic cords that hang from the corners of a Jewish man's or a priest's garment. Guess what happened that year to all of the sea slugs in the Mediterranean? There was a disease that broke out. The Romans record this. They were all killed. All of these Mediterranean sea slugs died, and there was no more fluid. There was no more way to make pure, natural purple. Now, they had artificial ways using plant extracts and things, but isn't it amazing that those sea slugs didn't come back until 1948? Anybody know what happened in 1948, by the way? Israel became a state. That's right. When they came back, they needed to make Tehillic cord to make the proper clothing for priests and for men to observe God's law. And guess what? God brought back the Mediterranean sea slug. Something as simple as a little slug. Go figure. There it was. Now look at this. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and gold and stones and pearls. It's an amazing thing about false religion. If you tell people what they want to hear, they will pay you anything you ask. Have you noticed that? If you meet somebody and you want to get a favor from them, you say, wow, you're a very handsome young man. Now you're a very intelligent young woman. Wow, I'm really impressed by the way you spoke today. You know, you kiss up. Seep, seep. You suck up. First thing you learn as a man married to a Filipino woman, you learn how to seep, seep. Yeah, brother. That's the, no lie there. No lie at all. Here's the thing. A lot of people in these false religions, these scarlet beast riders, they know how to suck up to people by telling them what they want to hear. You don't got to go to church. You don't got to read the Bible. All you got to do is be a good person. Believe in yourself. Visualize your future. That's all you have to do. It amazes me that people pay tens of thousands of dollars to go to seminars to hear things that they've been lied to about since the turn of the, since the, turn of the millennium. Yet this is found in 1 John 4.1. should be up there. 1 John 4.1 says this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Amen. A lot of churches today say Jesus rose spiritually, but not physically. Jesus wasn't the Son of God. He was a son or God like you and I can be sons of God or daughters of God. See, they will take Jesus and they will make him less than he was. Because if Jesus Christ was the one and only Messiah, the Christ, the chosen and anointed one, if he was, there's no other way, there's no other path to heaven. It's like what Imelda said. I can never do anything to be good enough for God. Isn't it great that God did everything necessary for me to make it? What I could not do for myself, God sent his own son to do for me on my behalf so that I could come into God's presence. Don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every preacher. Don't believe every teacher. Try things to see if they are from God. And if you want to know if they're from God, look at what they say. Look at the deep things. That book that they finished, that book was deep, deep stuff. It was deep down Bible study stuff. But here's the thing. Once you finish that book, no one's going to be able to lie to you again because you're going to go, wait a minute. You say, A, but the word of God says, 
B. Now, I know that somebody's lying, and it's not the word of God. So it must be you. Let's keep going. Book of Revelation, chapter 17. We're way back up in verse 7. I will tell you the secret meaning of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that, she carry, that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come from the abyss and go to destruction. Those who live on the earth, note this. Those who live on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast. People are always astonished when they meet the religious person, the person who talks about miracles, or the person who talks about deep things, or the person who speaks well. I was a speech major in college. You don't have to be of Jesus Christ to be a good speaker. In fact, sometimes the less religious you are, the better you are at public speaking because the less restraint you have on what you say. Believe me, the right, trained, educated person can get up and speak to you and make you believe anything unless you are grounded in the truth. Now, he goes on, says this. When they were astonished when they see the beast, that was and is not and will be present again. Here is the mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains. You may have seven hills in your translation, if you have King James or others. It's actually seven mountains or seven citadels, citadel peaks, on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain for a little while. Now he's beginning to describe how this woman sitting on the beast works. How does this false religion works? It says it sits upon seven mountains. Seven mountains. Now if you want to get real technical, back in the old days, they went, uh-oh, we know what seven mountains are. That's the seven hills of Rome. They're talking about the Roman Empire. They're talking about the Caesar who sits on the throne. This must be a resurgence of the Roman Empire. Not necessarily. It means seven centers of power. We know that in the last days that the deceiver will come. And Daniel, he'll make a covenant with ten kingdoms for a period of time. Halfway through that period of time, he will break his covenant and destroy three of them and take their place. Well, if you destroy three of them, how many do you leave? Seven. So you've got seven citadels of power, seven places of power. This false religion, this almost humanistic, man-centered worship will take power over most of the earth. And that's exactly what this woman is. She is the queen of idolatry. She is man-centered worship where men go away from God to focus upon themselves and upon those things that are said by the false prophet. Remember, the first beast is the Antichrist. The second one is the false prophet who bears witness to the first beast. And that one has power to make people believe a lie. And that lie is this lie of all religions lead to God. All religions mean the same thing. All religions take us on the same path. I got news for you. Buddhism has nothing to do with Christianity. Because I read the writings of Siddhartha Gautama. He is the Buddha, the first and only. And he said there are no gods, there are no spirits, there are no ancestors. The Buddha said when you die, you turn into worm food, and the only thing left are the consequences of your action. By the way, for all you happy campers, that's karma. 
You know what karma means? Absolutely not a blessed thing. It's, it's an idea that somehow my actions carry on after I'm feeding the worms. Now, later on, another guy was born, and he said he was the Buddha come back, and they changed Buddhism. So the thing you have in the world today is not true Buddhism. Ask any diehard Buddhist. They'll tell you the truth. There are no gods, no spirits, nothing. It's all a fantasy. So I look at this, and I go, wow. Here's this wisdom that there are seven citadels of power. That's where this false man-centered religion is going to reign from. Does anybody see a man-centered religion in our world today? Look around you. Do you see man-centered religion? All of y'all should be shaking your head going, yes. Because you're sitting right next to a citadel of man-centered religion right here. Not that I'm picking on state for any particular reason. But every college you go to, they make you take what class? Science. Science tells you what? It was the, it was the goo to the zoo to you. That's what it says. Essentially spontaneous creation of life in the pool of slime in the primordial days way back when. Here's the problem. My wife and I worked at the University of Houston. She was in the computer science department, and I was in career sciences. I've talked to those professors. None of them agree with evolution. They can't get their dates straight. In fact, there are three tests for the age of things, three gas-argon tests. Those three tests can't even agree with each other. They can be off by 1.5 million years. They brought in a rock, and they tested that thing out at like 1.2 million years. You know how old it was? 25 years. 25 years. You know how we know? It came from the mouth of Mount St. Helens. They brought it straight out of the mouth, formed 25 years ago at that time, and they tested it at 1.5 million years of age. Talk about some people turning red in the face when they found out where it was from. They were embarrassed. But that's how bad their testing is. You see, they build their testing on what they think might possibly could have happened. But the problem is they can't prove it. Evolution is a faith statement, just like Christianity. The only problem is our faith is in God. Their faith is in whatever they think they can find. Pay your money, take your pick. Here's how it goes. So this, this religion is coming along. This thing is coming along. Now keep going. Verse 11. The beast that was and is not is himself an eighth king, yet he belongs to the seventh. Remember? The seventh head seems to have died and then come back to life. So that's what is going on here. And is going to destruction. This one is going to destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour, meaning a short period of time. These have one purpose, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Those with him are called chosen and faithful. These kings rise to power in this last day because they're going to give their power to this Antichrist, to this one who decides he's going to stop Jesus. You see, in essence... We see everything from the book of Daniel, right? Daniel chapter 7, go back and read it. You'll see exactly what they're talking about right here, this war with the Lamb. We talked about it last week. It's the battle of what? Har-Megiddo, Armageddon, that final siege by the kings of the east against Jerusalem where the Antichrist will make his last stand. These are all things that basically all biblical scholars agree on. There are fine details that we're not going to get into, 
where they differ. But they say this, there is a war coming, and Satan manipulates the world into a position where they will support him to fight Jesus. Guess what, though? Joke's on them. The end of that battle is already told. Because if you're going to fight God, who's going to win? God. Got news for you. You can't beat him. He made the whole thing to begin with. So he is going to win. Satan knows that. Satan was in heaven. He saw the power of God. He saw the glory of God. He simply fell, and he's going to take as many people with him as he can. That's what's going to happen in these last days. In fact, if you go to, to chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 7, Jesus is called the Ancient of Days, the one from the very beginning of time. Go on to 15. He also said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute was seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, and language. This will not be a small thing just in Israel. This will be a global church, a global religion. We almost have that today. The one religious faith that I know of that spans the entire globe is secular humanism, atheism. It spans the whole world because it's the most attractive religion I know. It says you can live any way you want, do anything you want, because there's no consequences. When you're dead, you're just dead. It's okay. And here we go on a little bit more. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose and to give their kingdom to the beast until God's words are accomplished. And the woman you saw is the great city that has an empire over the kings of the earth. Now, earlier on, we read the name Babylon. We know that Babylon was a city. Babylon was the, the seat of Nebuchadnezzar's power and his reign. It is still a city today. Babylon has never fallen. I told you that last week. Damascus has never fallen. But both of them are destined to fall and be utterly destroyed. But is he talking about the city of Babylon itself right there in Iraq? No. He's talking about a global kingdom. Remember, for Jews and Christians in the first century, the word Babylon was synonymous with sin, perversion, death, and destruction. In fact, many times when they referred to the Roman Empire, they referred to them as Babylon. Because Babylon was the last great power to usurp and take Israel captive. Took both kingdoms, took them captive. So for them, Babylon means the conquering kingdom of evil. And that's what they're talking about here. They're talking about something so powerful, it will engulf the world's political structure. We see that happening even today. You see the world coming together in different ways. You have the European Union. Oh, are, are, they, are, they, are they the new Roman Empire? No, don't get caught up in that nonsense. But they are pushing through the United Nations to bring the whole world into regional economic sectors. Anything wrong with that in particular? No, not really. But it does play into this picture that with this type of structure, with the world divided into just a few sections, a few currencies, a few political alliances, it will be that much easier to unite the world under one geopolitical leader. And it's completely possible. It is possible to have one world government. And through one world government, a one world religion that says we are all the same. There's no more need for Muslims to fight Christians and Christians to fight Jews and Jews to fight whoever. We don't have to have that anymore. We can all believe in the same thing. The same thing is what? Us. We become the center of our own new religion until the Antichrist comes in the middle of that tribulation and he proclaims that he is God. And that's when the beast falls. Let's jump ahead just a little bit further. Let's go into Revelation chapter 18. We've seen the face of evil. The face of evil is modern secular religion. 
man-centered religion where everything comes down to what you can do. But now would you look at the fate of evil. Evil will always have a face and a fate. Look at it. Uh, Revelation 18, 1 through 8. After I saw this, another angel with great authority coming down from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. He cried in a mighty voice, It has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She has become a dwelling for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. This is a picture of utter devastation and destruction. This is something like what happened at Jericho. Everything just completely torn down. This is Sodom and Gomorrah revisited. So this is utter, complete destruction. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, this idol idolatry again, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, this idolatry again with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her excessive luxury. Then I heard another voice from heaven, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Don't forget, the word wrath means the judgment of God stored up, saved up, and released all at one time. It's kind of like God gives you 100 chances to get off the highway to hell, and guess what? When you pass the last exit, there's nowhere to go but. All throughout your life, every single day, if you are cruising down that highway, I hate to bring up old ACDC songs, but let's call it what it is. This is the highway to hell. You're going down it. Here's, there's, there's exit 100, exit 99, 98. How many exits do you get? The first number is 100. How many do you get, guys? Come on, count them. 100. If you pass exit 1, and then you say entering hell, how many exits do you get after that? None. You don't get any more after exit 1. And that's why every day is a blessing. Every day is a chance to take that life and live it for the glory of God and live it so that somebody else might see the power of God in your life. When someone sees you, do they see joy? Do they see hope? Do they see peace? Do they see rest? Because if they don't see that in your life, what do they see? Because remember, everybody is going to hook up your life with your faith. If you say, well, I'm a Christian and praise God, I guess I had a good day today. I'm tired. My, hurt, my legs hurting. My elbow hurts. You know Christians like that? Sometimes I just want to lay hands on them and heal them just so they'll stop. Because seriously, if I say I'm a Christian and I'm the biggest grouch, the biggest crab, I have the nastiest constipated look on my face. Who in the world is going to want to be a believer if you're the example of what that is? Seriously, who would want to believe in Jesus if it makes them look like you? That, that's a bad thing. When I'm looking, y'all look pretty good, so I'm pretty impressed. Amen. All right, there you go. See, she knows. She knows. So the whole thing is this, you know. We look at this. This place is devastated because there's nothing there. A lot of people who go to these, we'll call them New Age churches, modern churches, uh, seeker-friendly churches, whatever you want to call them. They go there. They don't receive anything. They go in empty. They walk out empty because the words of a man can make you feel good for five minutes. You can go to a comedy show and feel great for the night, but when you walk out the back door and the show's over, have you really changed? No. You can go to church and sit there every day, and the, the worship team can be fantastic, and Pastor Ken can just inspire 
the socks right off you. And the sermon can be dynamic and make you weep and cry and have a wonderful time. But if you walk out the back door without Jesus, you're going to go out exactly the same as you came in. Because all this stuff in here, this is not going to change you. Only Christ can change us. And that's why the fate, the fate of evil will always be to be on the outside exactly what they are on the inside. You know, they, they called the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers. That's a tomb. Tombs are not supposed to be pretty. Although, if you ever notice, in some countries, I've been to a few countries, people's tombs look nicer than their houses. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some tombs that have marble on the outside, you know, little, little, little angel things, you know, <laughs> kind of scary, but I, I wouldn't do it myself. But. So you get the tombs that look really good, but you know what's inside of a tomb? Dead people, bones and stuff. There's nothing in there. So sometimes we need to, we need to look more at what's, what's going on on the inside than what's going on on the outside. Okay, let's keep going. We've got to press on here just a little bit. Now here it says this. Come out of her, my people, so that you may not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. That's like a quote directly from Jeremiah 51.45. Jeremiah 51.45. Write it down. Look it up. Trust me, I have Alzheimer's. So go ahead, look it up, make sure you're right. Make sure I'm right. Yeah. Anyways, now a lot of scholars I was reading, they place these words in the first half of the tribulation. Because in the first half of the tribulation, you have 144,000 witnesses. You have the two witnesses in Jerusalem who are warning of God's coming plague. This is before that, that, that sort of mid-tribulation getting the saints out of the way thing. So he's telling them, hey, wake up, look around. You know, I would love to run into a lot of churches I just want to run into a church on Sunday morning and scream, Jeremiah 5145, and run out the back door and see if anybody looks it up. Come out of them. Come out of some of these places that pass for churches yet where the word of God is never read. You know what I mean? That should be the measure of a church. Does the church lift up Jesus? Does it read the word? Does it exalt the word and the prophecy of who Christ is? That's how you know you're in a church. Not by how good the worship team is or how good looking the pastor is, although those things don't hurt. I'm just saying, there it is. And the thing is this. If you don't come out of the deadness, then you become just like this. She became a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. That's the life that refuses to come out of the world. You know, and, and the truth is, I have a lot of family and a lot of friends that are still in that place. And I always, I always tell this to them, and I don't tell it to them to be mean. I tell it to them because I love them. You know, if, if Pastor Ken told me he had a pain on his side, and I looked and he had a swollen patch right there on his side, I wouldn't say, you know, go home and pray about that, and it'll be okay. I wouldn't say that to him. I'd say, uh, brother, I think you've got an issue. You need to go to the doctor now and get that looked at. You know why? Because if you catch it early enough, catch that sin problem early, you can get rid of it. But if I see your problem and I don't say anything to you, I'm not a very good friend to you, am I? If I let you go on thinking that it's going to be okay, I am not going to be a very good friend to you. In fact, Hebrews 11.24, should be our next one, says this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. 
for he considered the reproach, for he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since his attention was on the reward. For all of us, this is the encouragement. Moses had to face Pharaoh, one of the most powerful men in the world in his day. And it was his life or his death. Yet he saw that saying the words of God, speaking the things of God, was more important than hiding out in the Pharaoh's palace, living in luxury, having slaves and food and wine and women. If Moses had just stayed in Egypt, he would have had an easy life. He would have been a rock star. You know, he would have had, you know, a chariot with, you know, four speakers, surround sound. You know, he'd been all set. He could have had anything he wanted, but he chose not to do that. All of you are the same way. You have a choice. You can either be silent about what you know and live at peace with everybody. Or you can be a thorn in the flesh. And you can speak the truth. And you can tell people what's happening. And you can warn them to pay attention and to look and to know what's going on. Because ultimately the reward is in being faithful to God. Not the opinion of people or others, but how faithful are we to the Lord? I mean, if we believe this is true, we have to stick with it. I've told you before, my, one of my best friends is Brian. Brian's at my old church. He's an atheist. Diehard atheist. Refuses any concept of a God anywhere. And yet he and I have been friends for many years. We still are. We text back and forth. And I never let up on him, and he never lets up on me. Why? Because we care about each other. I care about him, and he knows it. I stick it to him, and he takes it because he knows I love him. And because I want the best for him. And I want the best for his wife and their marriage. People, if you tell someone the truth, they will respect you because you care the, about them enough to tell them the truth. Let's keep going. Verse 6. Now this is what he says here. He says, oh, let me get back to verse 5. Okay. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Pay her back the way she also paid, and double it according to her works. In the cup in which she mixed makes a double portion for her. As much as she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, give her that much torment and grief. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. Aha! All of you women who think you're queens, be careful. With this one. I sit as a queen. I am not a widow, and I will never see grief. For this reason, her plagues will come in one day, death and grief and famine. She will be burned up with fire because the Lord God who judges her is mighty. This means none of us are beyond the reach of God's long, long arm. Very, very, very clearly, God is telling to, to the world through John, don't let anybody think that they're safe from my hand. Just because you have money or position or wealth, you're young, you're healthy, you're strong, you have a good doctor, a good medical plan, just because you think you're living like a king or a queen doesn't mean God can't reach out in one day and take you. And if he takes you today, will you be ready to face him in that moment? And when he says to you, why should I let you into my heaven, Brother Mario? Why should I admit you to the glories of heaven? The only thing you can say is because Jesus died for me. And that's all you need to say. Anything beyond that is just proud boasting. Claiming Jesus is all we really need. Now, we have to live and walk worthy of that, don't we, Brother Ken? We've got to walk worthy. But the whole foundation of it is what Jesus did. Let's finish it up. So we've looked at evil from two sides. Here's the third. Revelation 18, 9 through 24. 
The finish of evil. This is where evil is done and over with. The kings of the earth who had committed sexual immorality and lived luxuriously with her will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke of her burning. This is the picture of a, of a ruined city, a city destroyed where there's no buildings left. There's only smoke and flames. They will stand afar off in fear of her torment and say, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Imagine what would happen today if every major government in the world collapsed all at one time. They all went bankrupt. They all collapsed. Leadership broke down. What would the world do if suddenly all of the centers of power, all of the citadel points of authority broke down in a single day due to some horrendous catastrophe? What would it look like? It would look like this. The merchants of the earth will also weep and mourn over her because no one buys their merchandise anymore. With the false religion of luxury and, and pleasure gone, there's no one to, to buy all the stuff that people are making. Merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones, and pearls, fine fabrics of linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, all kinds of fragrant wood products, objects of ivory, objects of expensive wood, brass, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, whew, incense, myrrh, and frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine wheat flour and grain, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages and slaves and human lives. They're going through everything that typified the classic wealthy Roman home. These are things that no Roman citizen would consider living without. Look at all these things. These are not necessities. These are the luxuries of life. These are the things that the wealthy people had in their homes that set them above everybody else. It says all this stuff, no one's going to want it anymore. It's going to be worthless. It's going to be completely thrown to the side. Because, you see, all the things that they profited from, all the lies of the importance of man, the centrality of man, it's all gone. Verse 14, the fruit you craved has left you. All your splendid and glamorous things are gone. They will, they will never find them again. The merchants of these things who became rich from her, meaning the prostitute, the false religion of the world, Okay, will stand afar off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls. For in a single hour, such fabulous wealth was destroyed. Remember what Jesus said? I come like a thief in the night. Twinkling of an eye. In a second. In fact, when Nero was the emperor of Rome, and when the fires broke out in the poverty-ridden sections of the city, the heat that year was so oppressive that the fire spread throughout the city at such a rate, people just couldn't escape the great fires of Rome. The whole thing about Nero fiddling while Rome burned, I don't think so. He was running for the hills. He was going get to get himself out of, out of the city. But the city burned so fast, nobody could believe that such a mighty city could burn to the ground. Just like that. Boom. That whole section of the city, gone. If you read about that time, it was horrible. And every shipmaster, seafarer, the sailors, and all who do business by sea stood afar off. Now wait, we looked before. What happens to the entire ocean, the entire sea? It's destroyed. It's destroyed. It's made uninhabitable. All the life in it dies. And they watched the smoke from the, her burning and kept crying out. Who is like the great city? They threw dust on their heads and kept crying out, weeping and mourning. Woe, woe, the great city where all those where all those who had ships on the sea became rich from her wealth, for in a single hour she was destroyed. 
Rejoice over her, heavens, you saints, apostles, and prophets, because God has executed your judgment on her. That's Jeremiah 51, 48, if y'all want to look that one up too. It's all right there in the prophecy of Jeremiah of what would happen on the day of God's judgment. God's not going to surprise anybody. They've already had three and a half years of pain and suffering to know this day is coming. They have all of the Old Testament to tell them this day is coming. It's amazing. You talk to any political theorist that I've seen on any television show in the last 10 years, most of them do not have any good forecasts for the future. The golden days of America are gone. In fact, the golden days of Europe are gone. Some still predict a, a rise in, in India and China and other places in Asia, but there are others who are sounding the bell of global doom that the entire world economic system could collapse in a single day if the right set of things happened. Here's the thing. I know they're right. You know how I know they're right? Because we just read that it's right. It's going to all collapse in one moment, in one great firestorm. Then a mighty angel picked up a stone, large like a large millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, in this way, in the way of throwing in the stone, Babylon the Great will be thrown down violently and never be found again. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutes, trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No craftsman of any trade will be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. So the craftsman of any trade will be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. And the voice of a groom and bride will never be heard in you again. If there's no more brides and grooms, if there's no more industry, if there's no more light, that's utter, complete devastation. That's a complete destruction of that place. And remember now, Babylon doesn't just represent a city. It represents an economic power and a political, religious power. So in one hour, in one moment, in one terrible event, all this global idolatry will be thrown down. Now we know it's coming, don't we? Jesus is going to come back. He's going to set foot in the Mount of Olives. And everything will fall in that hour. It may not be 60 minutes, but it's going to be a very brief, short span of time. It's all going to fall. All this will happen because your merchants were the nobility of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. By the way, the word sorcery is pharmakia, from which we get pharmacy. Interesting, isn't it? We have a world today that is driven by drugs. Can't sleep? Take a pill. Can't get up in the morning? Take a pill. Can't digest beans? Take a pill. Can't do anything? Take a pill. So all of your pharmacia, your deception of the health that's found in pills, and the blood of the prophets and the saints and all those slaughtered on earth was found in you. God will require judgment from those who have turned their back and turned to this man-centered religion where we worship men, we worship our intelligence, we worship economic power, we worship our own creativity. Think about it. How much of what you see on television today or e-entertainment or, or Good Morning America, how much of that is actually about important things and how much of it is about how wonderful this actress is or that actress is? Does anybody really care about this person having a baby or that person having a baby or how many fathers this baby has? Does anybody really care if that's all you see on television? Is the most meaningless drivel I've ever seen in my life. And I grew up in the 60s. I know drivel. 
Okay, and this stuff is pointless. All of this so-called importance will collapse and be utterly washed away because it doesn't matter. So, judgment cannot be avoided. That's the point. Judgment cannot be avoided. It is going to come. But it's what you do about that fact that's important. One, when the veil of popular religion is removed, the truth of satanic deception is revealed. If you look at it, all of these popular religions that focus on me, myself, and I goes right back to the Garden of Eden, right back to Genesis, right back to the devil saying, yeah, did God really say you can't have the apple? Really? Well, you're not going to die, but you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. And get kicked out of the garden and suffer horribly for the rest of your life and all your descendants after you. He just forgot to throw that in there. Two, God calls his people to discern the truth from a lie and to flee from all false practices. That means everything that we do in this church, everything that is preached in this pulpit, everything that is sung on that stage, everything should be held to the scrutiny of God's word. Just like what Imelda said, you know, I remember the days growing up and thinking that the priest could forgive my sins, but now I know he can't. Only Christ can forgive my sins. And the thing is that the Bible's never said anything else. You know what's great, though? If I can't get to a priest, I can sure get to Jesus. All it takes is a bowed knee and a humbled heart. See, in any practice that, that, that makes me think I can do something to win God's approval, I don't have to. I already have God's approval. Guys, if you have not been to Mighty Men in the last couple of months, you have missed a lot. Because the Word of God says we are accepted. We are children. We are joint heirs with Christ. And we're going to keep going next week and learning more about that. Because the more we know, the less likely Satan can deceive us. Finally, while popular religion makes us feel good for today, we have seen what the end of all that will be. All of that happy religion, all of that feel-good stuff, God loves you, God wants you to be rich, God wants you to have a Mercedes-Benz, He wants you to have a mansion with 48 houses, I mean, 48 rooms, and, you know, that will make you feel good for today. But you've just seen the end of it all. Babylon will fall. False religions will fall. Man-centered religion will fall. Here's the thing. Those of us who are not deceived ain't going to be here when it falls. Praise Jesus. I'm going to be kicking it in the clouds with the saints when all this mess is going on on the earth. That's, a, that's the truth of it. I'm just ready to go, okay? Put me in my cloud car, and I'm gone. Okay. But the truth is, we need to tell people about this. We need to set people free. I was watching Dr. Phil. I love Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil was saying, you know what? Just because you're overweight doesn't mean you can't be happy. I said, amen. He said, just because you're losing your hair doesn't mean you got to be happy. I said, amen. I like Phil a lot. I feel a compassion for that brother. Yeah. But the whole thing, about, whole thing about Phil is he got to throw in Jesus and we'll be all set. We, we got to get down to the truth of it. We got to get down to what's real. So that we can have some real joy in our life. So that our faces can reflect what's going on in our hearts. We should be smiling because we are loved by the king. And because we're not going to go through this mess. And because we cannot be deceived because God loves us enough to give us his word so that we won't be deceived. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the truth. Father, this word is so hard to read. Father, it's so hard to receive that there's so much terrible things that's going to happen that this false religion will come and will deceive many, and then it will fall. But God, today, I thank you that false religion has no power in this church. Father, it has no power over your people because your people can see the truth, they can read the truth, they can know the truth, 
and through Jesus Christ, we are related to the truth. Father God, I pray that every day we will keep our spiritual eyes open. We will look at the world around us. We will know what it takes to be rightly related to your son. Father, there's one here today who needs to know you more. Father, I know your heart is open, your door is open. Father, just let them find you, Lord. Let them find you and know you so that they can be loved by you and they can be built up in your spirit. Father, all this we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.